Oh shoot! Your boy did it again. You're now listening to Bobby and Friends. Bobby and Friends. Bobby and Friends. Hey everybody! Uh, welcome to another episode of Bobby and Friends, and this is Bobby himself, uh, your friend, your host, your brother, uh, whatever you want to call me. Maybe I'm your friend of me. I don't know. You never know these days. Uh, but anyways, welcome to uh, episode ten of season two. And yo, I'm so excited today. I'm always excited, right? I'm always excited for every single episode that we do or I do because I get to talk about things that I enjoy, things that I think, uh, you know, are important to humankind and our society. Um, And I'm especially excited today because I'm going to talk about a very uh, pertinent and very important issue that is affecting all of us who have ever lived in, in any city or a big city around the world, um, it may not have affected us directly, but in one way, shape, or form, it probably has affected our bank accounts. Now, maybe there's some of y'all listening whose bank accounts are fine and they will never be affected or probably not going to be affected by this issue, but it's it's one that is affecting a lot of people around the world. And um, it's an issue that I'm going to talk about, and that has to do with sort of the housing crisis within cities around the world. Uh, but before I get to that, yo, I hope y'all had an amazing Thanksgiving break. I truly enjoyed my Thanksgiving break. Um, I was at my auntie's, uh, got to see my cousins. I love my cousins, love my aunties. My brother was with me as well. Um, and yo, it was a great Thanksgiving. I uh, got to see family. It's always good to see the cousins, right? You can never go wrong with the cousins. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, cousins are like your best friends whom you can tell everything. You know what I mean? There's something about cousins that it's just like, I just love being with my cousins. Like, I love them. Um, It was great. Auntie, of course, auntie was feeding me 24-7 as African aunties do. Um, She always does that. So really enjoyed my Thanksgiving break. Hope you enjoy yours. Um, Let's see, anything happen over Thanksgiving break? Nah, not really. I mean, I don't think there's anything that happened that was crazy. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of news, right? There's a lot of things that did happen. Um, first of all, I want to say rest in peace to Young Dolph, who is, uh, a, who was a rapper, um, uh, nationally known um, from Memphis. Uh, but also rest in peace to Virgil Abloh, who also was he was a, 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 a black. Um, Superstar. That's the way I want to call him. He was a hero. He was like a black hero. Um, he was a, a designer, uh, a fashion designer who, uh, you know, was the founder of the um, brand called Off White, which a lot of you probably are familiar with. Um, you know, sort of helped Louis Vuitton, um, it, it, sort of with their uh, designs and, and fashions. And so, rest in peace uh, to Virgil amazing individual who has contributed so much to not just the U.S. culture, but the global culture. Um, also a fellow African, Ghana fool, you know, uh, from uh, Ghanaian descent. Um, so, you know, rest in peace to him. Also, you know, instead of talking about Africans, uh, look, <laughs> must must the continent of Africa not get a break? I, I just, I don't know what we have done to deserve so much suffering, so much pain. Uh, from the world. Uh, so there was new COVID variant covered by South African scientists only Cron. I believe that's what it's. So South Africans discovered it. Um, and but actually, and so Joe Byron, as the New Yorkers like to say, Joe Byron. I uh, know it's Joe Biden. Uh, President Joe Biden decided to put a ban 
on all Southern African countries. All Southern African countries. Because apparently we're the ones that came out because we are, you know, at fault for this new variant. All for a few days to be discovered that this variant actually came from Europea. Europe. It came from Europe. My God, I mean, guy, Aishman, must you do that to my fellow Africans? Leave us alone. Allow us to come. Allow us as Africans to come. Uh -uh. Allow us to travel. If people need to take a COVID test, they will take a COVID test. If they need a vaccine, okay, tell them you need a vaccine to enter. But to literally ban people, like as if, what are we going to do? Guy, we have to learn a way to live with this virus one way or the other. Must we not? But yeah, I felt a bit disheartened that, you know, they decide to ban travel from all these Southern African countries. When in reality, the variant came from Europe. That is where it came from. So why are they not banning France? Why are they not banning United Kingdom? Why are they not banning Germany? They're not doing that. But hey, us Africans, I don't know what we deserve. <laughs> God help us. Be with us, mighty Lord. But anyways, moving on. Of course, guys, let's all be safe and everything. And hope people are getting vaccinated. Um, anyways, uh, yeah. So hope people are getting vaccinated and well. I hope you're doing well. But moving on, let's talk about the doc. It's actually a documentary that I watched about sort of the, the housing crisis that's taking place in cities around the world. And sort of that's the topic I wanted to touch on today. Um, and sort of that is the review I'm going to do uh, for today. And so basically, this it's it's a, it's a DW documentary. Um, for those of you who are not familiar, DW is a German um, uh, sort of uh, channel, if you will, um, and they have this documentary out on YouTube called "Who Can Still Afford to Live in the City." Uh, and this documentary is by uh, Frederick uh, Gerton. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and basically, um, sort of the, the, the premise of it is that in cities around the world, housing prices are skyrocketing while incomes aren't keeping pace. Housing is a human right that is becoming increasingly evasive. A market gone wild is putting the squeeze on tenants. The documentary film sheds light on a new kind of faceless, faceless landlord, are increasingly unlivable cities and an escalating crisis that is impacting us all. This is not gentrification. It's a different kind of monster. Across the globe, rental prices in cities are skyrocketing and long-term tenants are being driven out of their apartments. The film follows Leilani Farhao, who is a UN special uh, reporter, reporter on uh, adequate housing from 2014 to 2020 as she, draw, as she travels the globe trying to understand who's being pushed out of the city and why. And so sort of that is the premise of this documentary, right? Looking at sort of the, the global housing crisis that's taking place because that's what's happening. It's a global housing crisis. It's a different form than the kind of 2008 housing crisis we had where, um, you know, people were losing their homes because of um, uh, bad mortgages that they have been, uh, bad mortgage loans that they have been given by banks and private, by banks and whatnot. Um, that was a different, uh, a different kind of housing crisis. This one is, is new in, in a way. Both permeate from sort of the increased final financialization of uh, commodities which are central and essential to the livelihood of individuals, right? So there is that huge 
financialization aspect of this mechanism that is pushing people to no longer be able to afford to live in their homes or their their apartments or the rentals that they're in. Um, And that's sort of a thing that's happening globally in various cities. And they sort of talk about this exact issue within this documentary. And so they start off, the documentary starts off with tenants in Toronto who basically wanted to organize a rent strike due to rising rent costs and inadequate housing. And uh, the specific tenant who actually put a um, she she put a a rent strike flyer outside of the back outside of her balcony. She was threatened with an eviction notice by the landlord um, because of this. Um, and so that's sort of where it starts of, of basically showcasing um, a, a situation where sort of uh, the tenants are realizing that first of all they're living in inadequate housing, right? And the rent cost is increasing. So it's like as if the cost, right? does not relate to the value that they're actually receiving, right? And which is a big thing that's going to that's gonna be showcased within this documentary of this idea of how does cost and value relate to each other? Are they relating it to each other? Does cost and value actually relate to each other in the current hyper-financialized economy and market system in which we operate in? The answer is no, they don't. Numbers... Costs, even values, uh, the valuation of things and commodities are just being created out of thin air. They're literally being created out of thin air, uh, not based in any actual proper valuation um, that can be attached to a real concrete, tangible thing or a real value that I'm getting out of something, right? And that is going to be a big conversation that they talk about in this documentary. Um and so you have one of the tenants uh, sort of, again, in this Toronto um, uh, property who says sort of they want to make the situation so unbearable as to sort of, uh, uh, sort of force us out of these apartments so that they can either sell it or renovate it for wealthy investors or tenants, right? And so this sort of then gets to sort of the, the next big issue about what we see going on all over sort of these different cities. I mean, if you if you live in D.C., if you've lived, ever lived in D.C., you can understand this thoroughly, sort of the idea of gentrification and the way in which it's taking shape and form, right? So you have these older properties that get renovated, and then they get renovated for a certain sect of tenants, right? It's not the tenants that used to live there. It's not for the people that live in that community. It's for a certain type of tenant. Investors. And you have this issue of, well, if you're going to renovate these apartments, who are you renovating them for? And if you're not renovating them for the people who currently live there, or if you don't want to renovate them for the people who currently live there and just want to force them out by increasing the rent prices so that because they can't no longer afford it, they are forced to basically move out. Who are you doing this for? Well, it's about money, really. I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's all about money in this game because it's this idea that, hey, we see that there is real wealth and basically attaching these crazy valuations to these rental properties. And if we can do that, we don't care whether people are going to be living there or not. But as long as we can evaluate and attach a certain valuation to these rental properties and be able to say that is an asset that we own, that's all that matters. Forget about the human cost that comes out of that. Forget about that. That does not matter. And that is what you see in this documentary. Um, And 
and sort of what the questions they ask themselves that, that is asked in this document is who is going to live in the cities? Who are cities for nowadays? I mean, that is a question you ask for yourself. I mean, I'm graduating college, right? And I'm probably going to end up in some, some, some city. More than most likely, maybe a major city, right? We don't know. Maybe. One of the things that when I talk about with sort of my fellow college, my fellow seniors, and we were talking with each other about sort of life after college is, hey, if you're going to live, to, if you're going to move to New York, if you're going to stay in D.C., if you're going to move to San Francisco, if you're going to move to L.A., if you're going to move to wherever, where are you going to live? That is the biggest question and the biggest thought on the minds of individuals who are graduating right now. All the seniors that are about to graduate and about to get in the real world is, man, when I move to that city, where am I going to live? Where am I going to live? Because the rental costs are just, the, the rentals are crazy. I mean, it's outrageous the amount that you have to pay for a part, for a rental spot in New York and D.C., in L.A., in San Francisco. So it's all of these different things. So housing is sort of the one, the number one thing that in all these conversations that I have with sort of my my, my, my uh, fellow classmates and, and individuals who are in the same situation as me, who are about to graduate, who are thinking about the next step is, where are you going to live? That is the number one question. Number one question, number one topic that always comes up. And within this documentary, so they have sociologists. Uh, sociologist, uh, her name is uh, Saskia Sassen, who is a leading theorist on global cities. And she's also a professor at Columbia University. And in there, she sort of says, you know, when I hear people today say, oh, it's gentrification. She says, I have one reaction. She says, if only, if only it was gentrification. And she goes back, it's much deeper than that. It's much more foundational. It sort of leads on to showcasing this older woman um, uh, in, uh, in in a city in Chile called uh, Valpari, Valparaiso. Um, and this older woman is being forced to move, basically pressure to move out of her home because it is in the midst of a big new development that's occurring in that city, in that part of, uh, of the city. Um, and also uh, where she lives, right next to there, there was a hospital that used to be there that was being demolished to make way for luxury condominiums in that city. And that there's also a whole bunch of, uh, there's many luxury units and lofts that are lying vacant in uh, Valparaiso because the cost of those, of those condominiums, of those lofts and units are unaffordable to the citizens of Valparaiso, Chile. And so the question that's being asked in the documentary is, who are these lofts and luxury units being built for? Who are they being built for if not for the people who actually live in Valparaiso? And that is the essential question of the housing market and all cities around the world. Who are you building this new luxury apartment and units for? That's the biggest question that's being asked. And then sort of they go to the UK. Oh, my Londoners, oh, my UK people, how y'all doing, mate? I know I'm doing that accent. I'm sorry. Y'all can forgive me, eh? Forgive me for always trying to do a British accent. It happens. I'm sorry. Colonization happened. All right? I'm telling you, the Brits did quite the job, okay? They did quite the job. I'll give them that. They did quite the job of colonialism, all right? Uh, but anyways, we go to Nutting Hill, which is some place in the United Kingdom that I uh, do not know. But... In this area, so when they're going to Nutting Hill, 
there is a man who lived there who's sort of been living there for a while. And he describes the process of sort of the, the, the financialization sweeping into sort of the value of properties, who's buying properties, who actually lives or doesn't live in those properties. What effect is that having on the people who have been living there? And so here's the way in which he, he sort of described it. And I sort of paraphrased it to sort of give you a, a vivid imagery or visual of, of, of sort of what he was describing, of, of sort of what happened in Notting Hill, in Notting Hill. In, in a way, it kind of says that it's, it's a process of new dwellers, such as pop stars and hippie individuals moving in because of the cool and trendy vibe of the area. Then a new school is built, wealthy families come in, and then wealthy, invest, wealthy, wealthy investors buy up properties. This increases the value of the surrounding properties, causing those who lived in that area for generations to no longer afford the tax properties, rent, or even buy a new property in that area. And he says, so lots of investors start to buy up properties, properties more as wealth, such investment assets, and not for the purpose of living there. But again, to store wealth that appreciates over time. And so you saw sort of the way in which this process happens, right? A few people start moving in, sort of this new hip group, right? Trendy vibes. The coffee shops around the corner. You know what I mean? You know, when you start seeing the coffee shops around the corner, that's when you know, oh, oh, bollocks. Bollocks. It's about to happen. There we go. It's about to happen. It's the coffee shop and you see the Trader Joe or um, what else? What is the other store? Yeah, you see the Trader Joe around the corner attached to that apartment uh, complex, which is funny because I actually lived in in, <laughs> in, in, in the housing unit, um, in, in a apartment unit. That actually was like that, and you could tell sort of the gentrification process that had uh, taken place there. Um, and so this is the way in which he was describing sort of what happened in Notting Hill and sort of how you had a process of new individuals moving in, school being built, attracting wealthy families, which also attracted wealthy investors to buy up properties because they realized okay, you have a new way for people with money moving in. If we buy the properties, it's going to start increasing the value of these properties, which can start increasing the values of other properties within that surrounding area. And so that's going to push out the poor people, even if they have been living there for generations, and bring in more wealthy people. And even if those wealthy investors buying up those properties don't live there, those properties are appreciating in value, which means ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. I just have an asset that's appreciating over time. I don't even have to live there. I don't have to live there. I don't have to do nothing. It's just there. It's just there. Appreciating in value. And that is the process that they call vacant dwelling, which is a process that is happening with the wealthy investors all around the world in these cities, where they buy up these properties for the purposes of, of being uh, wealth assets or just assets that appreciate over time. And they don't live there. They have a house in London, in Geneva, Switzerland. They have a house in Hong Kong. They have a house in, um, you know, where else? They have a house in Lagos. They have a house in Dubai. They have a house in Rio de Janeiro. They have a house in New York City, in Miami. But they don't live in those places. They don't live in those properties. Those properties are sitting there vacant, making ka for them. And so they go on to also talk about um, sort of the, the Grenfell Tower um, incident that happened in, 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 in the UK. 
Um, and there's a BBC article uh, titled The Fire Which Destroyed Grenfell Tower in June 2017 was one of the UK's worst modern disasters. Um, and basically what happened is that on, on June 14th, fire broke out um, in, one, in a kitchen in, in the fourth floor flat um, at the 23-story tower block in North Kensington, West London. And that within minutes, the fire had raced up the exterior of the building and then spread to all four sides. Um, and they talk about how also within two hours, most of the upper floors were well, um, were well alit. Uh, and the 72 people, unfortunately, tra tragically lost their lives. Um, and it's interesting, and the reason why they, they, they include this, the, the, sort of this incident in the documentary, is that basically there had been a structural issues within this uh, tower. And that sort of this place, this tower was also, I think, in Nutting Hill. Again, the property that had basically been gentrified and, and huge uh, uh, sort of wealth and sort of these properties and a huge value, uh, uh, property valuations. Um, and they talked about how sort of this was a social housing estate. Uh, it was mostly immigrant populations, marginalized communities who lived in that in there. And again, it was also a community that sat in a, in a very rich affluent bur borough. Uh, and there were allegations, as I said, of poor housing conditions from before the fire. Um, and even in a Grenfell, uh, sort of there was an inquiry that took place um, that showed that um, the building's uh, smoke ex extraction system was not working. Uh, it showed that sort of the, the cladding material that they had put around the building um, actually uh, played a, were a primary cause of the fire spreading so fast. Um, they talked about how when firefighters sort of were there, they experienced problems with water supply because there was no wet riser, a water-filled pipe running up the building to be used in the event of fire. So that wasn't there. And they also talked about how there were exposed gas pipes installed in 2016 that were another contributor, contributor, contributory factor, and that none of the flat doors actually met current fire-resistant standards. So again, you have social housing estate, marginalized communities living in there in a very affluent neighborhood and adequate housing issues with the structural aspects and, and sort of whether sort of the structural exterior and even interior met, um, was up to standards and codes and obviously was not. And tragically, 72 people lost their lives. And they used this because they said this is almost a representation of sort of what's happening all over the world in these cities where you have these marginalized, disenfranchised, poor, at times working class poor individuals who have been living in these parts of the of, of cities, in certain parts of the cities for a long time. And then because of highs of rising costs of rent prices that are being pushed out one way or another, whether it's a fire, whether it's just, uh, rising rent prices, they will get pushed out. And that is the effect that it's having. It's suffocating. It's almost like the, a fire that is suffocating the ability for the poor and those who are not wealthy to be able to live in the city. They're being, it's, it's, it's a suffocation of the poor and those who cannot afford city life. Because now we are at a point where the city is being defined for a certain sect of people that only those with money can live in the city, those with who are wealthy, can afford to buy a property or even rent in the cities. 
And it's about what effect is that going to have on the future, right? Of where we're headed. And it's his concept that they were describing as unbridled capitalism in an area that is a human right. Uh, and she sort of talked about, you know, that's what differentiates housing as a commodity from gold as a commodity. Gold is not a human right. Housing is. Right? And, and that is the issue. We are treating housing, something that is essential to people's ability to live, as a commodity, as a commodity where you can store your wealth, as an asset. And what is it saying when we have so much vacant dwelling, right? And there was this article, a New York Magazine article, um, titled "Why." Uh, article titled "Why New York Real Estate is the New Swiss Bank Account," and this is by Andrew Rice. And within this article, um, they talked about how the Census Bureau estimated that 30% of all apartments in the quadrant from 49th to 78th Street between 5th and Park Avenue um, in New York City are vacant at least 10 months a year. At least 10 months a year. Which means those are seasonal apartments, right? You probably come, They probably come there for the summer, and then that's when they're actually staying there. Or maybe for the winter or for the holidays, whatever it may be. But for 10 out of the 12 months, 30% of the people are not living in those places. And these are wealthy people who bought up these properties that individuals who actually need them could be using. And that is the reality that we're in. Um, economist and Nobel Prize laureate Joseph uh, St Stiglitz, who's also in this documentary, sort of talks about where in the 2008 crisis, right, a lot of homeowners are losing their homes because of these terrible uh, mortgage uh, loans that they have been given, that they actually end up cannot afford anymore, right? And so they're losing their homes. And basically what the government did is they sided with the banks, and what it did is they gave the banks money because the banks were out of money. <laughs> and so the banks, what they did, is, as, as this uh, econom economist says, is that the banks took that money, they gave, they gave that money to sort of hedge funds and private equity firms, as at the same time as the banks were encouraging foreclosures in order to clean up their books, took money from the public that the government had gave them, gave them to hedge funds and private equities, equity firms, who then bought distressed assets to make money. And the distressed assets were the homes that people could no longer afford to live in. And so these homes were being sold at a much lower, basically distressed price than they had been bought for. Right. And so these hedge funds, private equity firms jump in, buy them at very low prices. And that's how they make their money. Because now they can increase the, the rents. And they can make profit from them. And they talk about how that is how the 2008 crisis has played a huge role in sort of increasing wealth inequity and inequality, both here in the U.S. and around the world. You also have, in here, they have a writer, Roberto Savian, who is an Italian writer, who also wrote Gomorrah, uh, who actually is living under a threat after revealing structures of organized crime and within the documentary was actually riding in an armored car. And he gave this, he basically talked about sort of how organized crime is financed and how sort of the financialization system through real estate allows for the flow of money and finances that were obtained through illegal means. And so he said, imagine that you have 100 million euros from 
trafficking cocaine and immigrants. What do you do with that money? He says you buy real estate, restaurants, apartments, all this stuff. You open a company, an offshore account. Then you buy uh, things on the cheap with legal money. And these things uh, are basically the restaurant, a hotel, a house. Um, and so, and then you take those properties that you bought, right? Sell those properties to your offshore company. Then that company brings back those assets to anywhere around the world. And that makes it illegal money, makes it legal money. And so you have a process where through real estate, illegal uh, financing is occurring to clean up the books of individuals who committed crimes, who are earning money from criminal activity. Right? So you also have that situation. And that is sort of the way in which it's happening. And they were sort of talking about how New York Magazine article that I mentioned earlier, there is an entire industry of brokers, lawyers, and tight-lipped advisors who help to keep uh, sort of the identity of these uh, individuals, foreign investors, and wealthy investors who are buying up properties all over around the world. They have individuals, a whole system that's helping to basically hide their identities. And because of sort of that privacy that comes with buying these real estate through the means of offshore accounts, of LLCs, criminal financing is able to happen under the gaze and under the eyes of the government and no one is seeing it. And so it's a huge issue of where, right, there is illegal financing taking place and that is allowed to happen easily through this housing crisis and this new financialization of sort of property and housing around the world in these huge in these cities. But then you have individuals who are being displaced, especially the working poor, out of these cities because they can no longer afford the rent because rents are being increased at a, an, an infinite amount. You have private equity firms which will buy any vacant sort of apartments renovate them, and then increase the prices by like 50%. Buy up a new vacant, any other vacant apartments, buy those up again until they bought the whole entire apartment and property, and then increase the prices by 50% or an expert amount, a huge margin. And then the people who live there cannot afford to live there, so then they're forced out. And then wealthy tenants are move in, or not that many tenants move in. They're just there, left there, but hey, it's value on the sheets. It's value in our books. It's an asset that we'll continue to appreciate over time. And so it's this, it's sort of what I want to call it is you have you have an issue where basically what is happening sort of within the housing market all over the world is that you have a process where money is being made out of thin air. It's really what is happening. Money is being made out of thin air. And you kind of wonder, where do they get these valuations for these properties? They make them up. They just make them up because they want to keep creating as much wealth and as much assets and put them on the books while people's lives are on the line and people have nowhere to sleep. And that is the current housing crisis that the global community, especially global cities, 
are facing all over the world. And so go and watch the documentary because I think it's, it, it, it talks about an important topic, one that we should have a much more discussion on, one where the government has to decide sort of proper actions to take, and where those who do have investments in pension, pension funds and whatever it may be, which is money that is being used to buy these properties and whatnot, try to understand where, the, where your money is being invested. What negative effect and impact is the money that you're investing having on other, on others, the working poor, people who are not as fortunate as you? So it's all of these questions we have to ask ourselves. And so with that, thank you for listening to episode 10 of Bobby and Friends. And uh, we'll see you for the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. And you have an amazing day, morning, or night. Thank you so much.